Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Bwery, and as always, I'm with someone who knows seismology reveals more than just earthquakes, Dr. Lucy Jones. We thank our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month because your support enables us to serve even more communities? Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now let's get to it. As we heard on our last episode, seismology is not the study of earthquakes, but the study of seismograms. And seismograms can tell us more than just about the vibrations caused by earthquakes. What started with earthquakes has transitioned into many other areas. We've talked about how you can tell when a bomb goes off in episode 90, just a few episodes ago. But there is, in fact, so much more that can be learned from the study of how ground moves and what causes that movement. But this hasn't always been the case. So Lucy, how did we get to this point where seismology tells us so much about so many things? Well, seismologists pushed the development of computer processing of ground motions because we had to. It was central to our jobs and we could record and do so much more as we improved what the seismograms were. From recording earthquake data to earthquake early warning, seismology has really become a computer science. But computerizing and automating seismic network processing is not just about buying faster computers, although don't get me wrong, those fast computers have made a huge difference in what we can do. But to use the fast computers, you need algorithms. You need code that tells the computer what to do with the wiggles. And the last few decades in seismology has seen major technical developments to record, process, and interpret seismic records. And as we developed all this with our graduate students and postdocs, those people learned this stuff and then have often gone into other fields and used these seismological algorithms to do other things. So it all comes from these computer algorithms. That's where it all starts. And so the logical application, as a layperson, I would say that it goes from what's happening into the earth to the things that are connected to the earth, right? Buildings and structures. Right. And that's actually a parallel process, sometimes connected between the seismologists who've looked at the ground and the earthquake engineers who look at the buildings. And seismic instrumentation and processing has been taken into buildings so that we know how the building moved during an earthquake. And that allows the engineers to analyze what happened. As those instruments got out there, we started realizing that it was more than just being able to say, this is what happened in this earthquake, and that tells me how the building is going to respond to a future earthquake. It also told us about the health of the building. We have problems in earthquake country when one earthquake will cause some weakening or damage to a structure that then a second earthquake will cause to collapse. But you didn't know about that extra damage because it's hidden. It might be a crack in a beam that's behind the plaster and whatever into the walls of the building. This has become something called structural health monitoring. And you can now set up a system, you put instruments and a few different floors within your building, watch how it deforms in small earthquakes. And when that changes, you can see that there's been something changed about the structure and start recognizing and looking for problems. And it doesn't seem like that's so far off from standard seismology. You acknowledge, right? The folks working to monitor the earthquakes also work with the earthquake engineers, which is some great and impressive work. But it's gone beyond that. And I know that you've mentioned to me in the past some very unique applications of this work. Can you describe some of those here? 
Well, one of the ones that I just thought was incredibly exciting, I heard about last week, where a Stanford professor was putting out instruments to do some structural health monitoring. They were doing some tests within a building and they put it up late at night because they didn't want people walking by to provide noise in the system. Because even a small movement of someone walking is picked up by these sensors? Is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely. If you're looking at the floor, you'll see a deformation of the floor from the footsteps of the person. So they were setting up this experiment and somebody was walking by to go to the bathroom. They said, okay, we got to wait for him to be done and then we can go on with our experiment. After he had left the bathroom, this professor's graduate student, he didn't wash his hands. What? Well, you could see in the seismic record, the gate from his footsteps going towards the bathroom, then a period of quiet where he was in the bathroom. Then you saw vibration of the building that was caused by the water moving through the pipes as he flushed the toilet, and then more footsteps that just kept on going out of the bathroom. So you're telling me that seismic monitoring can determine whether or not someone washes their hands after using the bathroom or not. That's how specific this kind of monitoring is. It absolutely is. And when they realized that they could see that, they started thinking, what else can we see? And they started comparing the gates of different people and realizing that everyone has a unique seismic signature to their gate. So they can every, recognize- Every person has a unique seismic signature. I know we talk about different earthquakes having their signature, but you're saying that all human beings or every moving being has their own way of- Well, that's what they're seeing here is that different people walking past, some might be walking faster, they hit their heel first or their toe first, all these different aspects end up creating a unique signature. And part of that signature is connected to the strength of the legs and the rate at which they're doing it. So this team started working with hospitals and looking at what they could see that would allow the doctors to monitor not the health of the building, but the health of the people within the building. And there's now an experiment going on in a home for children with a genetic problem that leads to muscle deterioration and careful monitoring of when changes happen will allow them to be treated and live longer. They've put these sensors into this home. They can recognize each of the different children and from monitoring how they walk each day, they can more quickly determine whether or not there's been some problem in their muscles. So it isn't just structural health monitoring. You can actually do people health monitoring with these seismograms. I usually don't get super excited when we do these podcasts, but that's super impressive. Like the ability for us to be able to help people have longer, fuller lives, not because the environment around them hasn't collapsed, but because their own health is being monitored by these devices. It's quite incredible. And I hate to leave that topic, but for a minute, can we go back to structures? Because we talked about buildings early on, but we didn't talk about bridges. And I know that bridges are monitored in the same way buildings are with various sensors to see what kind of movement or sway is happening. And there's a design there for some flexibility. How else in monitoring bridges can seismology be used to help us on a day-to-day? Okay, so yeah, we've been doing bridge monitoring for quite a while, ever since a couple of rather famous bridge collapses. You want to see if it's getting damaged and not allow it to collapse with people on the bridge. So there are seismic monitoring systems out on a variety of bridges. There's a really neat new approach that's being taken where they combine the seismic monitoring with the camera and look at how the bridges are deformed by trucks passing over them. And it turns out that that's really controlled by how heavy the truck is. 
And of course, I think most people know that really heavy trucks do a lot of damage to roads. That's why we have weight limits and we have way stations to monitor them. But we also have people who figure out how to go by the way stations when they're closed, how to avoid all of this. They've got the system out. They've just developed on a bridge where they can not just see that a truck is going past, but look at the deformation of the bridge caused by the weight and isolate using seismic processing techniques, the multiple vehicles that are on the bridge and determine which one is the culprit of being too heavy. Part of it is a visual monitoring with a camera and pixel isolation. They've also then got a picture of the truck and can track them back down. So it's the impact on bridges. I wonder if they could also monitor my walking across the bridge at the same time because they can measure my gait. Maybe not, not with the trucks there. Probably not with the trucks, but it would be a really interesting thing to try to differentiate that. <laughs> so as we talk about these structures and we talk about these things that maybe people more commonly expect, maybe not the hand washing, but commonly <laughs> expect for monitors to be able to do, anything else is sort of more far from that regular expectation? One that's farthest, at least by my estimation, is music synthesizing. You have a synthesizer, they're trying to create the same sound as various musical instruments, but bowed string instruments, violins, cellos, are an incredibly complex waveform that is controlled by that interaction of the rosin on the bow and the texture of the string. Analyzing that sound, we were able to see that actually it's being created by the same frictional process as earthquakes, what we call stick-slip motion, where friction holds it in place, elastic deformation, it gets released, it releases sound waves, and on a violin string, it then catches up again, gets released again, catches up again. Drawing the bow across the string is actually a process of creating multiple earthquakes, and they were able to use those equations to then create a better synthesized violin sound. And people will pay quite a bit of money for a good synthesized string sound. On a much more sobering note, we've also seen seismic technology used to track gun violence. When a gun is shot off in a city, where was it? How do the police respond? There are some cities that have put out multiple microphones around the city and use basic earthquake location technology to triangulate from the recordings of the gun explosion sound showing up on a microphone back to where the gunshot must have originated from and use it to track criminals. The most recent one I've heard, which I'm inspired by, we've developed earthquake warning technology where we can know a few seconds before earthquake waves get to a site and we need to get that information to you. Well, getting that information to you without any delay because you've only got seconds is a difficult technological problem. One that Android by Google, the Android phones have recently taken on where our earthquake warning messages are now native to the phone and they distribute it to all of their Android users. To do it, they've had to develop a different technology than they usually used for just texting because every second counts. And they are now using that pathway, the communication pathway developed for earthquake early warning to provide air raid warnings in Ukraine as they face the Russian bombs. So these applications are both preventative in sort of the long term. We talk about building structure and bridges, but also the immediate. These applications have some direct impact on people's lives right now. And really, this is a real study of not just seismology, but the process of taking a technology and applying it to other uses, as you've just described. And I think it shows the investment that pays off when we invest in that fundamental research and exploring what's possible in a various topics and never knowing exactly what the outcome might be on the other side of it from when we actually started. 
So when people started studying this decades ago, they never probably thought that it would be used to save lives and give people warning for air raid warning in a war in 2022. They never thought would be the application of the research they did two or three decades ago. We sometimes talk about curiosity-driven science. The scientists seem to think it's theoretically better and the funders tend to think it's theoretically worse. But in fact, good research, you often don't know where it's gonna end up and we need to be open to those opportunities. Well, let's leave it there for now. And until next time, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you, Getting Through It. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones.